0: Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, If you're new or visiting our church, uh, my name is Aiden, one of the pastors serving here. Um, Today, I'll be starting a new series. Uh, Whenever I get to preach, I'd like to preach from the book of Philippians. And uh, it's a great book where God really speaks volumes about his joy and uh, his his love for us. So I hope that we can all get blessed uh, from this book. So if you could turn with me to uh, Philippians 1, 1 through 8. And it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Read for us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. There's the word of God. Uh, Please uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, uh, all of our hope is in you and in your word. Uh, Because as we grow older, as we live our lives, we got to realize more and more that our lives are shaky. Our world is shaky. Um, Everything that we see in our world uh, will fade away. Only your word is solid rock that we can bank on. So, Lord, help us to see you that way as we encounter your word from uh, the book of Philippians. May we get to encounter you. May we get to experience you and find hope uh, in your gospel. Use me for this task. Uh, Help me to point uh, all these precious people and souls to you alone, and let my words be few, so that your word may be magnified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So, a few weeks ago, Pastor Thomas spoke on uh, the topic of fellowship, if you're here, and uh, he explained that that's basically a relationship uh, with God and with uh, other people, and the way God convicted my heart through that sermon was that I need to grow in my relationship with other people, meaning, if I were to list all the excuses, you know, I'm 100% introvert, according to the score uh, test or whatever. And uh, I think growing older, I'm realizing more and more that I'm very private. I like to have my privacy in my life and for my family. Um, But then I realized, man, is it really gospel? Am I really living faithfully as a Christian in um, the area of relationships? So from that sermon from that conviction, I've been repenting and, you know, praying about how God wants me to grow in this area. And and I think one answer to that prayer was this book and this passage. And I found some answers about how I can grow in building relationships with, uh, you know, with you guys, with, uh, with anybody that I encounter in my life. And uh, I don't know how many of you share that same burden or concern in your life about relationships. Uh, But I think, you know, whether you are concerned or whether you are okay with it, as a church community, I think it's important for us to know that relationships with one another is crucial for us to sustain as a community and grow. So I really hope that this passage can also help you, uh, just as it helped me. So let's delve into this passage. But before we do that, because this is the first, uh, you know, chapter, first information uh, thing for this book, uh, Book of Philippians, Uh, if you read verse 1 and 2, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we see here, this book is a letter sent from Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi. and uh, But most likely, uh, we see that Paul is the sole author of this letter uh, because you know, if you read the uh, throughout the book, uh, he uses a lot of first-person singular pronouns like I, my, me. So it's most likely that Timothy was accompanying Paul at this time. And a lot of scholars say that Paul was in jail in Rome when he was writing this letter to the church. Uh, If you read through the book of Acts, uh, it records how Paul ended up in Rome because he was facing a lot of persecutions uh, from Jews in Jerusalem. So he appealed to Caesar in Rome to get a fair trial to avoid the persecutions and also assassination attempt that was being made against him. And we see in Acts 28, the last chapter of Acts, um, we see that Paul is now waiting for the trial, and he's confined in this jail, but he can still, you know, uh, receive visitors, and he was pictured as sharing the gospel boldly with uh, all his visitors. So that's the circumstance that he's writing this letter in. And and now, the, the church in Philippi, by the way, Philippi is a city, in the modern-day Greece, in the northeastern part of the country. And uh, the church there was actually um, the church that Paul founded. He planted during one of his uh, missionary journeys, recorded in Acts 16. And uh, uh, apparently there was some relationship that was established between Paul and the church even after he left because in chapter 4 of this book uh, records that uh, after he left, the Philippines continued to, you know, send uh, gifts and monetary support to support their founding pastor and also missionary um, for his ministry, even when he was in jail. So in this sense, we can look at this book as sort of like a you know, missionary update email that we get from missionaries about their ministry. So that's sort of a context that, you know, uh, this book is situated in, and now, for the rest of the time that we have here together, uh, we will look at the, this opening section of this letter, and we'll look at the three things there, if uh, you look at the outline there, so these are uh, really how Paul views uh, the Philippians in his relationship with, with them, and, and again, I hope that we can learn how we can build relationships with one another through this portion of the book. First, joy in the gospel partnership. Verse 3 and 4, he says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So again, as sort of a spiritual father, Paul is telling the Philippians that he's remembering them and praying for them. And then he adds that he does that with joy, joy. And we'll look at that uh, throughout this book, this joy is a very prominent theme, the joy that transcends circumstances. because right now, Paul is in jail, and he's talking about joy. So there must be something peculiar about this joy. So we'll stay tuned about that uh, for the later portion of uh, this book. But for now, Um, you know, he adds that he has joy for the Philippians even while he's in jail. So now the question is, why is Paul thankful and joyful about the Philippians? Verse 5, it says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He has joy for them because Paul and the Philippians have been partners for the gospel ever since the first day Paul brought the gospel to them and established the church again back in Acts 16. So there the word partner, partnership, translates the Greek word koinonia. You might be familiar with that word. But often in the Bible, it's translated fellowship. And it's a very deep word. It's not a casual word. And in order to get the meaning and the force, of this word. Uh, It would be helpful to look at Acts 2. So look with me to Acts 2, 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to, they, Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all uh, the, the proceeds to all as any had need so as evident in this passage and from our passage too that fellowship or specifically partnership in the gospel means that because the gospel is the goal and the priority people Christians you know get into this covenant deep trusting relationship in which they are willing to share anything, share any materials, any gifts, any talents, for each other and for the sake of the gospel. That's what fellowship means, and that's what's happening in the early church in Acts two. Um, to illustrate that, um, you know, in one of the past young adult fellowships, that one of the events that we have in our church, we played this game uh, where we were given. Um, this dry pasta noodles with tapes. And then we were told to build the tallest tower. And we're just kind of competing with one another with other groups. And each group had about four or five people. It's a very clever game, I enjoyed it. But as you can imagine, uh, it's it's a type of game that really requires uh, good cooperation among the members. But just imagine, what if one of the members who was specifically given the dry pasta noodles, decide not to use it for the, the, the project, but decides to save it for himself for his meal later. You know, um, Or say another member was given a tape for the project or the, for the game, decides to save it for her own art project later. Or maybe another person, another member who was given this amazing engineering mindset but he decided not to use it to build a sturdy tall tower for the game, but he decided to use it for his own engineering career, you know, whatever, right? So you see, if this is a mindset among the members, then man, there's no hope for this group. They're gonna lose the game. But if they see the value and the priority of the goal of winning the game, then they will share all. They will put everything to the table and they'll cooperate and try to win the game. And I think that's a good picture of fellowship, that people who subscribe to the gospel really see the value and priority of the gospel, the needs of the world for the gospel, and they decide to sell all things, give all things away for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel of saving souls. That's fellowship, and that's the partnership that Paul is boasting about the Philippians. And and apparently that's what uh, Philippians were doing, and Paul explains that further in uh, verse 7. It says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The word there, partaker, uh, has the, the word koinonia again in it. So like I said earlier, Philippians gave material support for Paul even when he was in prison. And now, just think about it. It is costly for sure. It costs money on their part, but also it's a risky thing. You know, they have to support this possible criminal in the Roman government's eyes, and they could be risking their security and status. But they still do it because they value and prioritize the gospel. So they are Paul's partners and now, it, it makes more sense now after reading all these things because, you know, Paul was saying he's so thankful, he's so joyful about the Philippians. Why? Because he sees that he's not alone in his ministry. But he has his committed, you know, people who are sold out for the gospel, who has his back for the gospel's needs, and they will sell anything for the gospel. So he's so Thankful tremendously. And and, and as we see that, to apply this to ourselves right now, I think there are perhaps two questions we can ask. First, the word fellowship. Am I a good partner for the gospel? Am I sold out for the gospel? Do I prioritize gospel in my life to the point that I can give up anything, you know, anyone for the sake of the gospel? Or do I see myself more as a hoarder? You know, saving resources for myself and for my family. Which one is it? And second question is, like Paul, do we also value and joyfully appreciate other partners for the gospel in our lives? And here, again, really applying this to ourselves By partners, I I refer to the the brothers and sisters in Christ in CLC. Uh, Do we appreciate one another? Um, There's this retreat, youth retreat called the JGen in the Chicagoland area. And I I went there as a counselor many times. And what's interesting about that retreat is there's a certain pattern uh, that happens every year. That students get really blessed. It's a great retreat where the word of God is being preached and you know, good songs being sung and played, and the the students are all blessed, and then they all come up to me as a counselor at the time, and, you know, they are all in tears, and they're like, man, we're so blessed, but we don't want to go back home. I was like, wait, why? Because back home, our church is so small that we don't have a youth pastor, we don't have, you know, youth group students, so my parents, you know, make me attend the Korean service. I don't even understand Korean. And there are so many students like that every year. It's like what happening, what's happening here then is for these students, they're just so blessed by the retreat and they're getting a the glimpse of the joy of the gospel, right? They're just so excited to live for the gospel. But then they realize once they go back home, they're alone. They don't have gospel partners to run the race with. And when I see that, I think we need to realize sometimes and pause and realize how blessed we are in CLC. Because I can testify that we have many people in this church who are sold out for the gospel, who sacrifice their time and energy and whatever for the sake of the gospel. And these people push us. Maybe that's you, whoever you are. And many times, perhaps, we gloss them over. And even worse, maybe some of us have found ourselves criticizing other partners in the gospel. But what we are faced here about building relationships in our community is that Paul is exhorting us to know the value and preciousness of the partnership that we have in the gospel in the community. And that should lead us to thank God, appreciate what God has given us in this community. And I think it'll be worthwhile this week, perhaps, to spend some time thanking God for that, and maybe also verbalize and express to one another for the partnership. Second, joy in God's faithfulness. Verse six, he says. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is very confident that God began a good work in the Philippines, and he will bring it to completion when Jesus comes back. And The commentator Peter O'Brien says, the words begin and good, uh, they remind us of Genesis 1 and 2, where it, it says, God began a good creation, and he keeps calling it, it was good, it was good. So I believe what Paul is really saying here is that when the gospel came to the Philippines and they believed it, the God, the God recreated the Philippines. God recreated these people in Christ, meaning when they accept the gospel, their old self that was enslaved to sin in which there was no good, you know, have died in Christ on the cross together. And their new self, uh, the the good self that wants to live for God now, it has came into existence like a newborn baby. And, and, And Christian doctrine says we are to go from there and, you know, grow mature from that baby stage and we become perfect when... Jesus comes back. That's the goal of Christian life, right? And now, when we hear that, maybe for some of us, this can be a discouraging thought because you want to live for God and you want to grow and even become perfect for for God's kingdom, but you realize that, in all honesty, you are messy. You don't see much good in you. You keep failing. You keep living for sin over and over, the same sin perhaps for many years, and maybe some of us even doubt that your conversion was even real or genuine. But this verse, Paul says loudly and clearly that God is the one that started the process of that growth, and he will therefore take the responsibility of completing it for you, meaning... In other words, it is God's job, not yours, to grow you and make you complete and perfect in the end. And now, of course, this truth is not intended to, you know, create complacency in us, saying, you know, oh, oh, God's got it, so I'm not going to do anything, you know, I'm just going to keep sinning or, you know, I'm not going to strive to be holy. No. What this verse is intended for is, that we are to put our hope and confidence in God when it comes to Christian growth, meaning we are to trust God and hope in His power and His promises not in our own abilities, especially when we fail, and even when we succeed, the hope has to be in God's power to finish the race. Right now... My wife and I and our child uh, live in Minnetonka. But uh, years ago, we lived in St. Paul. And uh, back then, we, uh, Deb and I, before our child was born, we loved uh, walking around this place called the Como Lake. It was like five minutes away from our home at the time. Um, And uh, yeah, we we went there almost like every day at some point. We loved it. And this one day, I, I was walking with her, and then I saw uh, this, this bike. Uh, I think it's called the tandem bike. Uh, there are two sets of, you know, pedals and seats for two people to ride in, right? But this was specifically designed for perhaps an y- adult and very young child. And, and uh, a father and supposedly his son was riding it. And then when I saw it, I was like, that's the gospel! And then Dad's like, wait, What? What? What just happened? But I was so excited because, to me, that was a very good picture of what our growing process looks like. Meaning, in that bike, the father was driving the whole bike, you know, essentially, right? He was you know, propelling you know, the wheels, and you know, he, that's, he was doing it all, in a sense. But then, in the back, the child still had his own pedals, and he was pedaling along, but he was working hard, too. He wasn't just, like, chilling in the back, but he was working hard to contribute to, you know, the, the bike moving forward. And also, he was trying to learn to bike better, you know, like his dad. And, and, and that's Christian life because one thing I saw in, in the child's face was this. He had a huge smile in his face. Why? I will suspect that he was having fun. He was enjoying the ride because he doesn't have to fear failure. He knows that his dad got it. He cannot fail too hard to the point that he will fall and cannot bike again. No. Supposing that he's a a good biker, the, the, the father. He'll finish the race for him. All he has to do as a child is, you know, fail here and there, in in pedaling here and there, but keeps trying and trying to imitate the Father and learn to bike better. Likewise, we can perhaps truly enjoy Christian ride, so to speak, if we really understand that we are secure, that God is going before us, that He's got it, our future is secure, so all we got to do even when we fail, especially when we fail, we can trust that we can try again because we're secure. And I think that is very important perhaps for people who are confident, I don't know, in your abilities because this humbles you that even when you succeed, it is God, not your achievement. And now, Put that into our context here. Please follow with me. You know, I was kind of scratching my head at this point, like, wait, Paul, before this verse, he was talking about, you know, thanking God for the partnership that he has with Philippians. And now he's all of a sudden talking about the the security of their salvation. Like, wait, what's the connection here? The answer from my study is this. You know, when Paul looked at the Philippians, he was thankful for their progress. I mean, that they're definitely growing as Christians because they're willing to support him even when he's in jail. He saw progress there. He was, he was thankful, but Paul is not fickle. He knows that he cannot bank his joy on, you know, the achievement of these Philippians. They are humans. In fact, if you read along, later on, Paul points out that there was some division going on in the church. They failed. So, Paul was not naive in believing in their achievements. No. By saying this verse in verse six, he's saying that the source of his joy, the source of his confidence, ultimately comes from what God does in people's lives, not their success or failures. And now that's important, isn't it? When we apply that to our community. How do we assess people? How do we look at people in, in our community? Maybe, perhaps, we can be prone to, you know, jump to judgment based on the outward progress. You know, say, oh, he or she prays hard and you know, serving in this or that way, but oh, that person, uh, you know, uh, failing here and there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether there's a good future, and and. To make a disclaimer there, I mean, of course, you know, we sometimes have to appreciate what we see outwardly, right? And we, we have to affirm the good progress that people make. And sometimes we have to rebuke based on people's failures, for sure. But ultimately, when we look at one another, we have to look at what God might be doing in that person. And, and when you do that, perhaps you might get more excited about people. Because despite what we see with our own eyes in one another, perhaps God is doing something greater that transcends success or failures. And and when we do that, wouldn't we become a community of grace, encouraging one another to grow, rather than perhaps, you know, morphing into judgment? And, And so, you see, Paul, that's why he's joyful. He's excited about Philippians because he saw God doing his work in them. And lastly, joy in Christ's love. Verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. It's a very emotional language there. So Paul is saying that he's justified in feeling this way. Because, he says, he holds them in his heart. Meaning, this this emotion, this heart attitude towards uh, Philippians comes not from a shallow emotion, but it comes from somewhere deeper. That's what he means by heart. But how deep is it? Verse 8, he goes on and he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, With the affection of Christ Jesus. So, what it means is that his his feeling, his heart attitude towards the Philippians comes from the very affection of Christ Jesus himself. That's the source of his attitude and his feeling. In other words, what Paul is saying is that how Paul feels about the Philippians is exactly how Christ. Feels about them. And I think that's really mind-boggling here. It's, it's, it's amazing, grand thought here, because what that means is just like Paul rejoiced over the Philippians for their progress and partnership, Christ rejoiced over them. Just like Paul is hopeful about, or Paul is hopeful about God's work in their lives, Christ is also hopeful about the Philippines. And lastly, Paul, it says, he holds them in his heart and he yearns for them. Oh my, that means Christ also yearns for his people and he holds them in his heart. To put it another way, Paul was being a channel of Christ's love and grace towards the Philippians. So now, again, follow with me here. For Paul to, to do that, to be the channel of Christ's love and blessings and grace to the Philippians, he must have had to experience Christ's love himself, right? The affection of, you know, Christ Jesus that he's talking about. Because without that, he'll be faking it. Only when he understood and experienced Christ's love for himself, he would have been able to love like Christ. And the following verses perhaps show the glimpses of that experience that Paul encountered in his life. Uh, several verses here. Galatians 2.20. Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, a lot of I me's It's a very personal experience here. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. And go on in 1 Timothy 1, 14 and 15. It says, The grace of our Lord overflowed overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Can you you feel his emotion here? That Paul is basically, he just cannot get over the fact that Christ loved him even when he was his enemy, even when he was a sinner. He cannot get over the fact that he died for him. And that's what, that's the sense that we get from these verses. And and that, that love and experience is flowing out, overflowing from his heart to the point that he's inviting others to experience it. In Ephesians 3, 17 and 19, he says, I pray that you, Christians, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He is affirming over and over that it has to be you, first of all, experiencing God's love for you in order for you to love others. Uh, in my sophomore year in college, I, I went to Mexico for missions, and uh, you know, our team was there for about three weeks, um, and uh, it was an amazing trip. And I think it's fair to say that it changed my life. It changed my calling. It changed my perspective about a lot of things. And, but one thing that I really appreciated about the, the trip was that my leader at the time um, really gave all the members, ten, 10 of us, ample time every single day, every single morning to spend time with God. Um, I don't know how many hours, but it was, it was very enough time every day, every morning. And because, you know, it's it's Mexico, like, language is not working, and, you know, like, there's nothing else to do. So I spend, like, every morning, like, using, utilizing the time that he he has given us, uh, really delving into the Word. And I, I can still picture in my head right now, like, we stayed in this, like, small building as our base, and I would just, like, go up to the top of the building, like, an open roof, and... I just, like, sat down under the sun and overlooking the whole city and just, like, sat down and just simply for hours read the Word every single day. And throughout the summer, throughout those three weeks, it really became sort of a love feast. I was just, like, so filled with God's presence, so filled with the conviction that God loves me, that that. It was overflowing in me at the time because of those times. And and, and then this one day, um, you know, we we usually go out to the streets and city squares and, you know, evangelize uh, people there. And this one, you know, one of those days, we went out and I encountered these two ladies um, by the curbside. And as I was talking with her, talking with them, both of them, at some point, like, I started feeling, like, weeping. Uh, it's because as I was talking with them, in their eyes, I saw something. Something that indicated that they were so lost and hopeless. And as I was connecting with them, I just felt like, man, they need Jesus. Jesus loves them. That's why Jesus came into the world. They need Jesus, and I was just like, I mean, I I can't even, like, say that in Spanish right now. I I don't know what I was saying at the time, but I was, like, just saying it, like, out loud, like, you need Jesus. And I was just, like, saying that, like, even louder in my heart. And even now, as I'm sharing this experience with you, I, I can still, like, feel that emotion that I had towards them, that ache, that compassion, and that pity towards these two ladies. And I believe that it, that was the very heart and affection of Christ Jesus towards these two particular individuals. Once you experience God's love, you can love others with the same heart. And that's what Paul is saying. So, so I really believe that Paul is challenging us here, perhaps as a community, as a, as a church that we are to, you know, go into deeper relationship with one another in which we get to be joyful about each other for our partnership and be joyful about what God is doing in our lives. But in reality, let's be honest, is our default love right away? I think our default naturally is perhaps jealousy, Judgment, fear, even anger. In our natural self, we cannot be that community. We cannot have that relationship of you know trust and Christ's love. Again, it's only when we are each one of us experience Christ's love and that becomes the source that spreads into the whole community. And, And I would argue that our hope then as a community is Christ's love for each one of us. That's the starting point. And may God take us from there. Let's pray together. So spend some time um, before we sing a few songs. I think a lot of times, perhaps me the foremost, um, we uh, take, Relationships for granted, um, and people in our lives become sometimes even burdens. Um, But I think the more we read the Word, we realize how God values people. In fact, God is the relational God. He relates to us, even when we are away from Him. Even when we are his enemies, he mend, he mended that relationship through uh, the cross relationship. So as we pray right now, uh, may we just search our hearts and uh, respond to God's word uh, before we sing the songs and um, just spend some time with Him. Perhaps a conversation of love that He has for you, and then uh, we'll. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. It's not just words, but you have shown it to us through the cross. And Lord, uh, help us now to uh, receive that and internalize that and make it ours and give it to people in our lives, especially people in our church community. Uh, May we get to be uh, partakers and uh, partners of the gospel, joyfully serving you together interesting
1: close the time together uh, it's good to see many of you back here um, after your winter break for second semester uh, hope you had hope you had a good break hope you had a good time um, but you know uh, reality is probably it wasn't like that you know because uh, it's just you know, life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows. There could be some pretty good highs, but there could also be a lot of, um, you know, pretty low lows in our lives. That's just the reality of it. Um, and I'm guessing your, your winner was uh, maybe some highs, maybe some lows. Oh, I went to this retreat high. Um, some life, difficult life circumstances, a lot of lows. Um, It's always like that. Even this semester, maybe some of us were excited, but then maybe some of us were kind of uh, hesitant. You know, you're anticipating some challenges. It's just always like that. Um, But it's good to be reminded that there's some things that never change. Um, Christ is always going to love us. Um, His love is always with us. He's always working to finish what he began. Um, And uh, he he gives us people around us uh, that we can uh, pursue Christ together with. And and, uh, so some of the reasons for joy in our lives never change. Um, It could be, there could be sorrow. There can be some pretty deep sorrows. But even in the midst of it, there can be joy in our hearts because of Christ. And uh, that's that's a pretty amazing thing, that you can be going through the worst time of your life, and still because of Christ, there can be an inner joy um, that never changes. Let's pray. Let's pray for a moment as we think about even the past you know, um, break, and then as we anticipate this coming semester. and uh, Let's rejoice in Christ, and let's always be rooted in hope in those things that never change in our lives. Let's pray for a moment before we close our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the affections of Christ Jesus that we can daily experience as we go to you in your word, as we seek you in prayer, as your spirit moves among us and within our hearts that enables us to experience you in invisible ways no matter what we go through in our lives, we thank you for the affections of Christ Jesus that we experience because of his sacrificial death on the the cross on our behalf. And we thank you that the benefits of that, the ways that you apply that into our lives, never change despite the circumstances that we go through. So help us to look forward and the confidence that comes because of Christ, regardless of the circumstances, things around us, even in the darkest valleys, help us, Lord, to look forward and hope in the light of Christ. Strengthen us for this semester, all the ups and downs and the challenges that we'll face. We pray that you would hold your people and enable us to be faithful to you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of the Father God, the fellowship, the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.